We are men working to understand life, grow in holiness, and hold fast to the teachings of the church. But oftentimes, as you know, this can be difficult because of stress, responsibilities, the unknowns, and just the general sufferings in life. Our guest today shows us how our Blessed Mother is there to guide us, how we can better live this union, receive the help we need in spiritual battles of our lives, and stay resilient through it all. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are excited that you were here in the month of May. This is the first week of May, and we are blessed to have a full episode talking about our Blessed Mother, whom we love and adore and are working harder to uh, to better understand and uh, communicate and experience her love all the more. But before we get there, this is uh, The Catholic Gentleman Podcast. We are your hosts, Sam Guzman and John Heinen. We are about one month away from an incredible launch of a Catholic Gentleman membership program. We are really looking forward to it. Uh, be looking out via email and on social pages for information as we get closer to that date. It has been three years in the making and hundreds and hundreds of hours, and we really are praying to our Blessed Mother to guide uh, the 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 whole direction of that program. And so we appreciate your prayers along with us. So today we are joined by Father Daniel Maria Klimek. He is a Franciscan friar and an assistant professor of theology at Franciscan University there in Steubenville. He teaches at the university's camp- campus in Gaming, Austria. How cool is that? And has been a lecturer in the School of Franciscan Studies at St. Bonaventure University, another amazing saint. Father received his doctorate in spirituality with distinction from the Catholic University of America and a Master of Arts in Religion from Yale Divinity School. He is a a spiritual director to many, and he has led uh, pilgrimages and uh, retreats all over the world. So we're just so blessed that you're here with us today. Father, how are you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me, Sam and John. It's It's a pleasure to be with you today. No, I really appreciate it. We got a lot of connections. I did my uh, master's degree at Yale. I did mm-hmm. a, uh, I did a class, two classes with uh, Dennis Turner there at oh, the yes, Divinity yes. School. Quite a galactic intellect he was. And the reason I did the second class was because of how powerful he was in the medieval theology class that I was. He, he was actually my advisor. I remember uh, <laughs> Dennis very well. Yeah, I knew him. Uh, I knew his wife as well. Did some uh, charity work with her, and just a uh, beautiful couple they were. Wow, that's so incredible. Yeah, they they really are. And um, and I remember just uh, it was a pass fail class, but I felt like I had to go to every class because the the just the genius that was coming out of this man. And there was classes with atheists and and agnostics and Protestants and. They would just throw everything at him, but he was never flustered. He just had he had such a, a um, presence and and power behind him. So, um, but that's not why we're here talking today. We're here to talk about um, uh, the Blessed Mother, and and so I guess my first question and the first thing I want to talk about is I see that you have Mary in your name, um, and yes. there's some importance to that. So I'd love to hear that story if you uh, wouldn't mind sharing with us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as uh, as religious, um, we have the option of whether or not we'd like to take a religious name, change our names um, as we become uh, invested in the habits. And for for me, I was discerning. You know, my my baptismal name is Daniel, and I was discerning when 
when I was going to be invested in the Franciscan habits, do I, do I want to change my name? Um, after much prayer and uh, discernment, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, add to your name. And so mm. I added the name Maria. I added the, the name of Our Lady in its ancient Latin variation uh, because she has been so instrumental in my spiritual life, in my conversion, in bringing me to Jesus, in allowing me a deeper appreciation of the Catholic faith, the Eucharist, uh, uh, mysticism. You know, I was someone who, who, um, who really struggled with the idea of the supernatural. When I was in college at DePaul University, I remember I was um, taking a class on the New Testament and reading about the life of Jesus. And I was thinking to myself, this sounds so wonderful and beautiful, but I need to know, are the miracles real? Is the resurrection real? And because if, if they're not, then he's just another influential teacher like Socrates or Buddha or whomever, but I needed it to be real to give my my yes, my consents. And for me, it was that struggle. I didn't know whether the supernatural was real. And what changed my life was uh, my mother recommended a book. The book was called Medjugorje, The Message by Wayne Weibel. It was about her apparitions in Medjugorje. And it was a discovery where I realized, wow, Our Lady has appeared, you know, Lords, Fatima, Kibeho, Medjugorje, so many apparition sites. And it expanded my mind. The fact that the Mother of God can appear in the 20th or 21st century or 19th century and God can work miracles at these sites, for me, that vindicated the miracles of Jesus. The Mother pointed to the Son. For me, it was a realization that the miracles of God are not some construction from first century Palestine, but a burning reality that continue to, to this day, even through the extension of Jesus sending us um, our Holy Mother in the form of apparitions and bringing many people to deeper conversion and devotion uh, through her, through her Immaculate Hearts. Thanks be to God. Amen. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I I definitely concur with that. Just this this ongoing presence um, of of the Blessed Mother, you know, in the world. And it's interesting to note that you know when 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 Christ was on Earth, there was there was all these miracles, and and now like Christ is still present in the Eucharist in the Church, but he's kind of put front front and center. His mother, and it's like you know, Saint Louis de Montfort and many of the great saints talk about um, this being the age of Mary. Like now is the time for his mother to be revealed in a more direct way. Um, and it sounds like that has a huge influence on your spiritual life. But it's interesting what you know, like the mother brought you to the son, and I would like you to expand on that if you could, because you know, growing up Protestant. Um, uh, you know, there's so much anti-Marianism. There's so much hatred for Our Lady as someone who just distracts from Christ or who is inevitably going to replace Christ or who um, is, is, is in some way just opposed to 
salvation uh, history, like to the gospel and all these things, all these messages that I kind of grew up with. And obviously, since becoming Catholic, that's my perspective on that has changed. But I would like to hear you kind of expand on how the mother is not opposed to the son. The mother is not a distraction from the son and like how that played out in your own spiritual life. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, the way that I look at it is the Lord in his goodness has given us a family, a spiritual family. So through our baptism, not only do we become sons and daughters of God in an intimate and special way, but in other, uh, in addition to that sonship with the father, he's given us a mother, a spiritual mother. He's given us numerous brothers and sisters, the communion of saints. And all of them play a role in bringing us closer to Jesus and allowing us to live lives of deep faith that have meaning. So for me, um, Marian devotion uh, it has never been a threat because part of it is, uh, interestingly, even just having, you know, as you mentioned, uh, so uh, so eminently that Protestant perspective, which often is very biblically centered. So part of it is even having a richer, more robust understanding of Scripture, how in the Gospel of John at the crucifixion, it is Jesus who in his final act be before he leaves— in his final act, he entrusts Our Lady to John. He says, behold, your mother. And then St. John represents every beloved disciple. And St. John Paul II, in his commentary on this great passage, in his commentary in his encyclical uh, Redemptorist Mater, he speaks about the language in the original Greek. And he speaks about even the following passage that says, um, and then he took her into his home. And John Paul II says that in the original Greek, the language has a deeper expression. To take her into your own home actually means to take her into your spiritual life, to take her into your interior life. Uh, so that John was actually someone with an incredible and deep Marian devotion. And the Marian devotion actually originates with Jesus from the cross, to honor the mother is to honor the son. When we love her, we are loving Jesus in her. We are loving Jesus in her because she has been a gift that the son has given us. The, the son said, I want to give you a mother. I'm not going to leave my church abandoned. And the fact that there have been so many apparitions throughout the centuries that have converted so many people, Guadalupe, Lourdes, Fatima, the fact that she comes in this beautiful, vibrant, supernatural manifestation, this is all coming from Jesus. This is the will of God. This is the Father loving us, and this is Jesus loving us, and the Spirit loving us through this feminine maternal presence that calls us to conversion. And you notice that individuals who have a deep Marian devotion they are in love with the Eucharist. They are in love with the Mass. She draws them to Jesus, her life. Even the Rosary, when we think about it, the Rosary, yes, it's Hail Mary's, which is a perfectly biblical prayer coming from the uh, Gospel of Luke, uh, from the angelic salutation. 
Hail, full of grace, the angel Gabriel speaking to Our Lady to the uh, visitation with Elizabeth. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And so completely biblical, but also that the rosary is concentrating on the mysteries of the life of Jesus. So we contemplate his life by praying with Our Lady. With her, we contemplate the face of her son, all genuine Marian devotion leads to her son yeah it does and i appreciate that comment about loving the eucharist i um, have mentioned that in previous episodes that for me when i uh, did the consecration the 33-day saint louis de montfort consecration and some now almost 14 years ago i i was i was skeptical and i you know he uses big language you know like our lady is the way to your salvation. And it was like, whoa, like, what are we, what are we talking about here? And that can be, uh, that can be difficult. But I do understand uh, now through, through um, learning and, and through prayer and everything, the beauty of our Blessed Mother. But that comment right there about the Eucharist is so true. I have never fallen in love with the Mass more, the Eucharist more, fallen in love with Christ more. Like all of that has grown exponentially. And so you mentioned something earlier about it, it being a gift, right? It being a gift. And, and we talk about her apparitions and the beauty of, of Our Lady of Guadalupe saying, you know, am I not your mother? And we see Fatima talking and directing us with praying the rosary and, and through the seers and stuff like that. But um, I know you've talked about and you go in depth into practicing the presence of Mary uh, always, you know, not just in those um, moments in time that are still relevant for us, but actually in the very present moment um, with you too. And I, I'd love to just hear you talk more about that, of practicing how men can um, can grow in appreciation of Christ, can grow in devotion and uh, unifying their love of their, you know, of God, the Father, Christ, the Son. Um, and uh, through practicing that presence with Mary, you, you have such, such beautiful things to say about it. Yeah, definitely. You know, I noticed um, a lot of times I can have spiritual directees who want to grow in their Marian devotion. So they uh, start praying the rosary. They may read a book on Marian consecration and go through that process of consecration. And at the end, they may still sometimes feel like something's not quite right. I don't feel that closer to Our Lady. I went through the consecration. I'm praying the rosary, but the rosary at times can feel mechanical. So the question becomes, what's missing? What's missing in my devotion? And it's really very simple. It's um, in the book, I use the example of a young woman that I know that when she was a child, she used to she used to uh, draw on the uh, sidewalk with colored chalk and she would draw um, images of Our Lady. And then she would speak to her. She would speak to her as a child, speak to her from the heart, share about her day, share about her interests, like have this conversation as if her holy mother was right by her sides. And essentially, essentially with the presence of Mary's spirituality, it's a spirituality of the prayer of the hearts to speak to her, to share with her your vulnerabilities, your blessings, your pains, your sufferings, to understand that she, she seeks intimacy and to truly have intimacy with someone you need to be able to open your heart to them. So there, there are a couple of ways to practice this presence of Mary's spirituality. Um, 
if you are a more visual person, um, you can literally visualize her by your sides, whether whether you're taking a walk, you know, take a walk with her, whether you're sitting on the bench, sit with her and internally invite her, have that dialogue, have that conversation, share with her what's going on in your life, ask for her prayers, ask for her intercession, thank her, thank her for how much she has suffered for you at the foot of the cross, for her great Holocaust, offering her son Jesus uh, as a great, as the greatest uh, Holocaust to the world, how much she had to endured the pain of that to just show gratitude for our holy mother or if you're a more discursive person less visual it may be maybe perhaps more difficult to visualize her but that doesn't mean you cannot hold an interior dialogue a dialogue of the heart with her with her beautiful feminine presence and i like um i like the example of father don calloway you know father don calloway he says that uh Every man needs a woman in his life. And when he's speaking to the priest, he says, for the priest, that woman is Our Lady, someone to fight for. But what I also appreciate is um, when we're talking to men and about masculine identity, I remember reading the book uh, Wild at Hearts uh, mm. by John Eldridge. Yeah. yeah. And I remember he has a section in the book where he speaks about certain pillars of what appeals to a man. And he says that three vital pillars are to, to have a beauty that you're fighting for, to be part of a battle, to have a fight. And even like with those two pillars right there, to have a beauty that you're fighting for, to be the, a part of the battle, to be part of the fight. That's also a way that men need to begin to see Our Lady. Uh, on the one hand, there's this feminine beauty, the queen of heaven, who is calling you to be her knight, who is calling you to take up the sword, the sword that is the Holy Rosary, the sword that is the spiritual weapon. Because what I love about the Rosary is you can see it uh, both from a feminine perspective and from a masculine perspective. From a feminine perspective, you can see the Rosary as a bouquet of roses that you're offering to the Mother of God. It's beautiful, it's tender. And from a masculine perspective, the Rosary it's a sword. It's a spiritual weapon. It binds the devil. It binds the demons. It puts us in a bigger narrative, the narrative that our lives are not just about me being a teacher or a janitor or an insurance salesman. Our lives, first and foremost, is I'm a warrior of God. And there's two kingdoms in the world, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of hell. And on the side of the light, there is a royal queen, your spiritual mother, who is saying, fight for me pray the rosary, save souls from heaven. And that, that was really the message of Fatima. The message of Fatima, she showed the visionaries a vivid vision of hell. And then she said, so many souls go to hell today because there's no one to pray and sacrifice for them. So there's a call there that is very manly, the call to say, I will pray, 
I will sacrifice. I will use the spiritual sword to fight the demons, the demons who are um, keeping so many souls in bondage. You know, because of the Fatima message, it is so um, important for me to often pray for those who are on the brink of hell. Because mm. I because I feel that when we come before God one day, when we stand before the throne of God, your desire should not be simply that God looks at you and says, you lived a good life, welcome to heaven. No, your desire should be, or at least my desire is, in the great narrative of the spirit, spiritual battle, my desire is that God shows me tens of thousands if not more souls who are in heaven right now because when they were in dark places our lady inspired me to pick up the rosary mm. our lady inspired me to fast our lady inspired me to offer it for those who are on the brink of hell you know the the devil appeared to saint john vianney and he said to vianney you have taken more than 80,000 souls from me. And literally, that's the mission. That's the mission that our mother calls us to. Because what we need to realize with her, with her identity, especially as men, we need to realize that she's not just this tender feminine figure. Yes, she is. She has a beautiful femininity. But in addition, she's also the warrior queen. She's the one who with St. Michael, as chapter 12 of the book of Revelation displays, does battle against the dragon. And the Lord has given her a very important role in that battle. And in that, in that important role, she is calling us men to be her soldiers, soldiers for the queen. Amen. Yeah. The, um, and, you know, again, going back to St. Louis de Montfort, he talks about you know, just the, the um, importance of Mary kind of in the end times, that great struggle um, against when, when the devil is given, is kind of on the rise, uh, but so also is the Blessed Mother. And, um, you know, obviously we have no uh, timeline uh, etched out for us, but it feels like we're in, at least in like at some level in that thick of that spiritual battle right now. But I also want to talk about like, you know, for men, like, you know, going to war, you know, aggressiveness, like those are those those attributes, generally speaking, come easier to us. <laughs> um, and honestly, I think of like, uh, again, I hate to keep going back to this, but it shaped so much from my early worldview of just like being a Calvinist growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, this reformed idea is very hyper masculine. Um, in fact, if you look online at like the people who are most enamored of Calvinism, they're all men like they love it because it's all about power. It's all about mm. God's power, God's sovereignty. Like God is just this master who is complete control of every atom of the universe. And he's in his in, you know, it's like an idolization almost of God's power and sovereignty. Um, but there's very little room for for love and mercy in there. And it's very interesting with the Catholic, like, you know, it's like. It's it's a masculine like obviously God is our Father, but also there's this tempering force to, of Our Lady in there. And I'm just wondering, like, again, like again, war likeness, aggression, battle, like comes more easily to men. But like, what has Our Lady taught you about some like like love, mercy, like beauty, like some of those things that the men sometimes struggle to connect with? And um, has that has that had any effect on your spiritual life? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um... 
it has. You know, when I preach a wedding, I I say to the couple in my homily, your love for each other, it's going to be proven if it's an authentic love, it's going to be proven not in the marriage beds, but in the hospital beds. When the spouse becomes ill, when something happens, when when illness hits, when cancer hits, when Alzheimer's hits, when depression mm -hmm. hits, whatever it is, genuine love is shown at the foot of the cross. And that's what Our Lady shows us because John Paul II, he uses this beautiful image. He says that um, we climb up the mountain with Jesus on Mount Tabor. We have the retreat experience to encounter the transfigured face of God. But then we need the graces to come down from the mountain, from the retreat, in order to encounter the disfigured face of God, in the poor, in the suffering. And what Our Lady teaches me, she teaches me the cross. She teaches me that when others abandoned him, uh, those who were supposed to be most faithful, Peter, his head apostle, she stays true in difficult times, in circumstances that are unbearable. She has an intimate, mystical love for him that is unshakable, and she is willing to stay true to him no matter what, what happens. And often we have situations in the church where there's scandal, there's corruption, there's moral ambiguity and leadership. There's so much to disorient Catholics, and many unfortunately have left the church. But what Our Lady teaches me is it's always important, especially in difficult times, to come back to the first love. And for me, that first love, it's Our Lady, but it's also Jesus crucified. It's Calvary. That was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate act of love. You know, as a priest, you hear all types of sins in the confessional. And sometimes you need to be self-aware of your own human nature and which sins almost become like pet peeves to you. And uh, a sin that frustrates me so much when I hear it is when someone says, Father, I missed mass on Sunday. I didn't go to mass. You know, I was busy. I, you know, I went on vacation with family. We were traveling or I didn't feel like it or I had a lot of work to do. And that hurts me so much because I explained to the penitent going to mass, you know, it's not, it's not this obligation that I am fulfilling. That is a, you know, empty surface level spirituality going to mass should be perceived as an act of love. He died for me on Calvary. He was tortured for me. He was humiliated for me. And what happens at mass? Mystics who've had visions at mass, great mystical saints who've had visions at mass, they, they see the choir of angels around the altar. They see the mother of God standing by the priests. They see the priest becoming Christ. It's a mystical sublime encounter. And once again, for me, it goes back to 
that love for Our Lady. She leads me to the cross. She leads me to a deeper appreciation of her son, Jesus crucified, of his sacrifice. And in her maternal tenderness, you know, when you get to know her, you also uh, get a sense of her uh, personality, right? In terms of her personality, when I experience her, when I feel her presence, I sense a woman who's very strong, but who's also playful, who likes to tease her children, who has a sense of humor, who loves us in a way that is joyful. So like for me, Our Lady is someone who can walk with you in the darkness of Calvary, walk with you in the sufferings of your life. But sometimes she can also cheer you up by saying, hey, you're taking yourself too seriously, lighten up, mm. you know? And there is a teasing tenderness there that's also present, in, that's also very present in her. But um, yeah, for me, first and foremost, she's also the one who teaches me that true love is found at the foot of the cross. It's found uh, in the midst of contemplating her suffering son and his greatest act of love, the greatest sacrifice of all time. And our lives need to be a response to that sacrifice. Yeah, so beautifully stated. I really appreciate all of that. That's so good. And and yeah, because it can be hard for men to experience a certain tenderness or a certain, you know, growing in, in meekness and kindness and these sort of things. But Our Lady can can guide us in that too, in addition to the great spiritual battle that we are all in uh, that you're already referring to. So I guess I, I'm curious, how would you encourage men to... Um, grow in this devotion, right? So we've got some listeners here who are just starting out, but we've got a lot of listeners who've been consecrated to Our Lady for, you know, 10 years or something along those lines. And I'd love to hear from you as a director as to how you would guide men to grow in that deeper appreciation and that deeper fulfillment and that deeper, um, uh, I guess, bringing unity to Christ in their lives that our, our Blessed Mother brings. Yeah, definitely. Um Sometimes a person may say to me uh, that question exactly, how do I grow in marrying devotion? And I say to them, to understand Our Lady, you need to be able to hear her voice. And in order to hear her voice, you need to read about her apparitions. So for example, in, in my book, For the Love of Mary, I make sure to have a chapter that's dedicated to her messages in Guadalupe and her messages in Fatima to get, get a sense of that tender maternal voice that speaks to you. Because oftentimes when you encounter the biggest Marian devotees, you realize that these are individuals who somehow have been inspired or moved by her apparitions. The apparition is a site where her supernatural presence becomes known, but also a taste of her personality, of her maternal care for her children, her tenderness. Um, but I also feel that in addition to the apparitions, it's about realizing that she's a woman who still can suffer for us. You know, there's a hauntingly beautiful scene in the uh, 2020 film Fatima, mm -hmm. where the actress who plays Our Lady, uh, she's featured uh, in, the, in an apparition. And 
to the visionaries and there's a moment of ingratitude among somebody in the crowd and when that moment of ingratitude comes our lady the actress who plays our lady she reveals her heart and her heart is being pierced by these thorns that come from within and blood st starts dripping from her heart and there's this um expression of solemn sadness on her face and this leads to a spirituality of making reparation to her immaculate hearts of consoling her immaculate hearts so it's this idea that with my prayers and with my fasting i can offer the mother of god consolation for how much she suffers because of the ingratitude of men because of the sins in the world because of all those who do not take her son his passion seriously do not perceive it with devotion with reverence because of all the catholics who do not believe in the presence of jesus christ in the eucharist that this still pierces her this gives her pain you know i i grew up in chicago in the 90s so when you grow grow up in chicago in the 90s your uh your idolatry your idol your savior that's going to be michael jordan right mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and then your religion that's uh it's gonna be the bulls it's gonna be nba and i remember as a kid you know being obsessed with michael jordan and one day uh we're watching a chicago bulls game in the living room with the family and there's a, a commercial and then new stories come up about uh, stories that are going to be featured after the game. And there was this one story that just struck me to the most inner core of my being as a child, because I saw the footage and it was a story of a parish where apparently a statue of the Virgin Mary started weeping uh, tears of blood, sh shedding tears of blood. And as a child, I was moved to the most inner core of my being for a couple of reasons. First, I had no idea that such things, the supernatural happen, supernatural phenomena, mystical phenomena. Nobody preached about it at mass. We didn't hear about it in our Saturday CCD classes. So this was just awe-inspiring. And the second uh, reason why I was so moved is I was thinking to myself as a child, if this is authentic, if this is an authentic mm. supernatural phenomena, then why is our mother weeping? And mm -hmm. why is she weeping in such a vivid and seemingly grotesque way with blood streaming down her eyes? And of course, these days, it's not difficult to discern why she's weeping. So many sins in humanity, so many scandals in the clergy, so much disbelief about the Eucharist, about the sacred realities of life, so much mortal sin that pervades the world, so many who reject her son. There's many reasons for her tears. And I think that as men, we especially cannot stand the sight of a woman weeping in front of us. Mm, There's mm, something about it that is, yeah, it's tough. It's so hurtful. It's so painful. And part of this spirituality of reparation, it's a spirituality when I can, where I can pick up my rosary and I can say, I'm offering this rosary to 
to wipe those tears from your face, Holy Mother, to wipe them, to console you. I'm offering them this rosary as an act of love, or I'm offering fasting. I'm going to fast on bread and water today, or I'm going to eat one meal, or I'm going to fast from technology, whatever it is. I'm going to offer this as reparation to your immaculate hearts. So it becomes an act of intimacy. You say that her tears matter. And as a man, you want to uh, wipe those tears from her beautiful face. Yeah, that's so, that's so beautiful. You keep answering my questions because my next question was going to be, what are some practical ways we can sacrifice, you know, and, and embrace that lifestyle? But you you answered that in a beautiful way. But I kind of want to come back to this theme of of suffering because um, if you look around at the world, you know, like all the world's religions come come down to like two fundamental questions of like how can we know God, like relate to God, and, and how can we what do we do with suffering? Because if you look around the world, like one of the one of the chief things that hits you in the face as soon as you become aware is that there's a lot of suffering in the world. There's a lot of pain emotionally there's a lot of physical violence there's you know mental illnesses there's drug abuse you know just all kinds of of pain in the world and you know a lot of you see you look look around and they're all grappling with this and they all have these like different answers of like what do we do with suffering but like the christian answer is different than every other world religion and it's it's not about escaping suffering as much as it's about like not uh, embracing that cross and carrying that cross. And so I'd love to hear, you know, you, you have this really interesting section um, of your book about like almost like Mary stigmata or whatever, mm-hmm. which is a concept that I haven't really heard of before. And it's very interesting. So I would love to hear you kind of expand on what do you mean by Mary stigmata, but also how can she accompany us in the sufferings of life? Because we're going to suffer at some point Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. in greater or lesser degrees, like it's inevitable, it's going to happen. So how can she accompany us in through that and maybe even model for us how to carry that cross? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, Beginning with Mary stigmata, that is such a fascinating, fascinating topic, you know, There is a mystical tradition uh, that says that Our Lady was the first stigmatic, because in Christianity, we often acknowledge as the first historical stigmatic being St. Francis of Assisi, Mm -hmm. who who had the wounds of Christ on his body. There's some debate, uh, speculation, whether in Galatians, St. Paul is referring to stigmata on his body because he makes reference um, to um, the marks of Christ on my body. Uh, But most uh, biblical scholars believe that he's referring to wounds that he suffered through evangelism, the scourging, the the various punishments. Uh, But anyways, there are a few mystics. Uh, One that I feature in the book is the Venerable Maria of Agreda, a Spanish mystic who received a multi-volume works uh, from divine revelations, private revelations, and the multi-volume work uh, came to be known as the Mystical City of Gods, a text that is uh, dedicated to the life of Our Lady based on her visionary experiences, that she received visions of the life of Our Lady. And in her passion narratives, she depicts Our Lady 
as being someone who asked for a special grace uh, uh, on, on Holy Thursday. The grace was to suffer with her son, even physically, to internally feel his pains. Uh, she asked for the grace to experience desolation, spiritual and emotional desolation, and to suffer with him physically, because for her, it would be more difficult to see him suffer alone than to have the grace and the privilege of suffering with him. And according to Maria of Agreda and other mystics as well, she received this special participation that during the Passion, she felt the wounds of Christ. She had a supernatural manifestation of the stigmata. And so she suffered with him in a way that was so intimate and immediate and unbelievably painful. And it was an act of intimacy, as, as mentioned, for her that was a better path than to see him suffer alone because she loved him so tenderly. And it's a mystical pain. It's a mystical pain where you can say suffering leads to intimacy. I rather suffer with my beloved than to see him suffer alone. Now, that question of all the sufferings in the world and what do we do with that and even our own sufferings. For me personally, it's so important to meet her at the foot of the cross. So when I'm suffering, when some, when there's misunderstanding in my life, when there's persecution in my life, when there's any type of turmoil, any type of struggle, for me, I usually come before the blessed sacraments or before the tabernacle, and I imagine, I meditate as if I am at the foot of the cross. I meditate as if I'm looking at Jesus from the foot of the cross, and as if I'm there with Our Lady, and she's holding me, and she's embracing me, and I'm speaking to her from the heart. I'm saying, Mother, this is so difficult. This is what I'm going through. This is how I'm suffering. And there's an intimacy there, because there's a deep intimacy when our wounds meet Jesus's wounds on the cross, and when our wounds meet our mother's wounds. There's an embracement. At times, I feel her consolation. At times, I feel her presence. At times, I realize I'm not alone. She's in the struggle with me. And it's a profound reality, the honor of suffering with Jesus and Mary, to realize that in my pains, I'm not suffering alone. Because what, what I find very curious, very interesting, I experience this often as a spiritual director. I can have a spiritual directee who's going through a period of immense suffering. And there can be usually one of two major responses. One response is, where is God? Why has God abandoned me? Why am I suffering this way? Why is this happening? Why has he forsaken me? And what I, what I try to emphasize is I try to reframe it for them. And in reframing it, I, I try to uh, allow them to understand that the question isn't where is God or why is this happening? The question is how is this uniting me to Jesus crucified? The question is how can this suffering be turned into sanctification and deep interior intimacy with the beloved? Because what I try to have them understand is that there are certain places 
which are places of such sacred intimacy with the Lord, and two places of deep sacred intimacy are Gethsemane mm. and Calvary. <clears throat> because notice, it's easy to follow Jesus when he's working miracles, when he's healing, when he has a popular following. But then when he's suffering, when he's abandoned, you will see who the true disciples are. You will see who are those radical disciples who love him with a fervor that is unshakable. And similarly, taking that analogy to the spiritual life, it is easy to follow Jesus when we experience the consolations and when things are going well. But then when the suffering enters, the desolation, the darkness, the poverty, it's easy to abandon him. But in those moments, we need to say, how can this experience lead me to Gethsemane? How can this experience lead me to a communion with him? Because sometimes the suffering can be so intense that you feel your heart pierced. You feel a heaviness in your heart that is so, so difficult to carry. But in that heaviness, you actually experience the pierced heart of Jesus and the pierced heart of Our Lady in a way that... Um, in a way that is sacred and special. It's a participation in, in their hurts, in what they've been through. And speaking about the pierced heart, to take this uh, full circle, um, going back to the stigmata of Our Lady, you know, it's interesting, St. John of the Cross, as the great mystical doctor, in his writings, uh, he writes about stigmata. He analyzes the experience of St. Francis. And St. John says that stigmata begins with a wound of love in the hearts, that a person begins to feel this piercing of the heart and this yearning for Jesus crucified in the heart that is both painful and sweet. And eventually from the heart, the Lord can give the grace to extend extend the pain to the hands, the feet, and other parts of the body where there have maybe been uh, participation in his wounds, and, but that it begins in the heart. And if we consider that, there may be a deeper interpretation to Simeon's prophecy in the Gospel of Luke when he says to Our Lady that a sword shall pierce your hearts, that this is a prophetic proclamation that not only speaks to her grief at Calvary, but also speaks to the experience of stigmata that begins as a wound of love in the heart. So we see a type of implicit biblical support for what the mystics show that she experienced during the passion of, of her son. Mm. Amen. Wow. Well, thank you, Father. That was just moving and and so filled uh, with with uh, truth that I'm just you know, really grateful for that and and for your direction there. Um, this is what it means to be a man. And so, as uh, you know, Saint Louis de Montfort states, is the smooth, short, perfect, uh, and sure way of attaining union with our Lord, in which Christian perfection consists, and that is this union with Our Lady. So. Where can men find more information about you? Where can they um, uh, take a look at that book, For the Love of Mary, um, and uh, and then uh, follow you? I know you you do a TV show. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I have a, yeah. I have a sh show on uh, MaryTV.tv. Awesome. Uh, so if you go there, I, I do a show on uh, Our Lady and her apparitions and her messages. Um, also... Um, 
I'm on social media, Instagram, Facebook. You can buy the book on, on Amazon or the uh, St. Paul Center website, which is uh, Emmaus Press. Um, I don't have the website on me exactly. But I'll put it in the out. show notes. No worries. Yeah. Good, good. Great. Well, Father, we just thank you so very much for joining us today and for uh, your devotion to Our Lady and for spreading that devotion to to those um, near and far, you know, in your in your world. So, thank you so much, John and Sam. Such a joy and a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for your own Marian love, and thank you for all that you guys do for the faith and the church with your with your show and with all your work. Just incredible, incredible work. I appreciate it deeply. Well, thank you, Father. So as we end each of our episodes, be a man, be a saint, and love Our Lady. Thank you.